Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, February 3rd. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Do you believe your eyes or do you believe your ears? That's the dilemma you face as you try to make sense out of the latest Fed meeting. It's also a question that you ask yourself if you're evaluating the performance of gold over the last year. So let's start off talking about the Fed since we did have the first FOMC meeting of 2023 this week. Our eyes tell us the central bank is slowing down its rate hikes. It's easing off the accelerator in the war on price inflation. After a series of 75 basis point hikes, the Fed eased back to 50 basis points in December, and then this week it delivered an even smaller quarter point hike. With the most recent rate increase, the target range for the federal funds rate is now between 4.5 and 4.75 percent. Now, before we start speculating about what's next, I think it's important to focus on what the Fed actually did on Wednesday. It raised rates. Again, in an economy that is utterly dependent on low interest rates and easy money. Almost nobody is talking about this fact. Everybody is all caught up in speculation about what the Fed is going to do down the road. And nobody's really paying attention to what is happening right now. The last time rates were this high was in 2007. Now, going back to that time period, remember that rates peaked at 5.25% in 2006. And they were left there for a while. And then things started to get shaky in the housing market. So they were already coming down before the financial crisis. And yet, we still had a housing bust and ultimately that financial crisis in 2008, even though they were bringing rates down from that high level. Now, today, the Fed has pushed rates within 1.5% of that peak level in 2006. But there is a major difference between then and now. The bubbles are a lot bigger. There's a heck of a lot more debt in the economy. There is more malinvestment out there. So if the extent of a bust is commensurate with the extent of a boom, we're in for one hell of a bust. But nobody's really focusing on that fact, right? Everybody's saying, oh, no, the economy's going to be fine. We're going to have a soft landing. You know, uh, employment is good. Nothing to worry about. Even if we're going to have a recession, it's going to be mild. No, no. Look at reality. Look at history. History tells us a completely different narrative than the one that we're hearing out there today. And so this is the reality. While rates still aren't high enough to beat down price inflation, especially when you consider that the modern CPI formula drastically understates the extent of rising prices, interest rates are clearly high enough to break the easy money addicted economy. It did it back in 2007, 2006, it can certainly do it today with even shakier financial conditions. But in a world of markets and investing, ah, reality doesn't really matter, right? I mean, obviously it matters, but not in the short run. You can't use reality to understand what's going on in the markets day to day. So this quarter percent rate hike was widely anticipated, is what everybody expected. And we've got this mainstream narrative that inflation has peaked and the central bank is now easing its foot off of the accelerator. 
That's what your eyes tell you, right? But if our eyes tell us the Fed is winding down the inflation fight, the messaging coming out of the central bank, what our ears hear, tell us the exact opposite. So take the FOMC statement. It said inflation has eased somewhat, but remains elevated. And the official statement signaled additional rate hikes are on the way in the future. Quote, the committee anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. Now, during his press conference, Powell doubled down on this messaging. He repeatedly said the job is not done. And he emphasized that, quote, it would be very premature to declare victory or to think that we've really got this. And he indicated that the central bank could raise rates a couple of more times. Quote, we've raised rates four and a half percentage points, and we're talking about a couple of more rate hikes to get to that level we think is appropriately restrictive. Why do we think that's probably necessary? We think because inflation is still running very hot. Now, answering another question, Powell said, quote, it's our judgment that we're not yet at a sufficiently restrictive policy stance, which is why we say that we expect ongoing hikes. So he's hammering on this idea that we're not done raising rates. We're not done with the inflation fight. The victory is not complete. We're still going. That's the messaging that you're getting. He's trying to sound very, very hawkish. But as is pretty much always the case, Powell did include a little bit of mixed messaging in order to give himself wiggle room. He asserted that the, quote, disinflationary process has started. Now, as I've talked about before, I think this disinflationary process is transitory because I am fully convinced that we're going back to money printing at whatever point the economy breaks. And of course, when we go back to money printing, when we cut interest rates again, we're going right back to inflationary policy. And this is a big problem with the Fed, right? They make no connection between their monetary policy and price inflation. It's like price inflation is just this thing that happens out there because of magic or Putin or whatever excuse they come up with. They fail to understand that well, I don't think they fail to understand it. They fail to acknowledge that their money printing and their artificially low interest rates is inflation, and that's what causes price inflation. In fact, during the, uh, during the press conference, Powell actually talked about how consumer expectations drive inflation. No, consumer expectations don't drive inflation. Printing money out of thin air is what drives inflation. It's almost like the Fed doesn't understand the enemy that they're fighting, which is really themselves, right? And and I don't know, you know, I go back and forth between thinking these people are just really dumb and snowed by this Keynesian economics or that they are basically just lying. I, you know, you can kind of try to Decide for yourself what you think um, is the case there. Anyway, how did the markets take this messaging coming out of the meeting, right? Powell's trying to sound hawkish. How did the markets take it? Well, they clearly believe their eyes and not their ears. The mainstream isn't paying one bit of attention, attention to what Powell and company are actually saying. The markets are convinced that the tightening cycle is nearly over, 
that there isn't going to be a severe recession and the Fed is going to cut rates sooner rather than later. Now, stop and really think about this for a second. This is an incongruent mishmash. The markets are basically saying inflation is over and going back to 2%. And we're excited because now the Fed is going to go back to creating inflation. Not to address an economic crash, of course, but just because that's what the normal that we've come to expect actually is. Now, again, I agree that the Fed is going back to creating inflation, but not just because, not because that's the status quo. I think they're going to have to go back to try to put out an economic fire, and in the process, they're going to rekindle the inflation fire. But look at how the markets reacted to this, and you'll see what I'm saying. So in the moments after the official statement came out and this Powell's doing his press conference, stocks seesawed back and forth. The Dow initially sold off before swinging like 170 points to the upside um, after the press conference ended. And then the Dow slid into the close and it ended up fin- finishing just about eight points up. But the NASDAQ, with its more speculative stocks, its tech stocks, it closed up 2% on the day and the S&P 500 finished up just over 1%. On Thursday, the Dow finished down modestly, like 7, 8 points or 18 points, not a bunch. But the NASDAQ had another huge day, gaining 3.25%. Bitcoin had a big rally. So basically, people were pouring into the high-risk speculative stocks and assets like crypto. Why? Because they believe easy money is coming back. As one analyst told Reuters, markets are saying, you can say what you want right now. We know you'll change your tune. And on the face of that, I think they're right. They're right, but for the wrong reasons. This same article noted that investors are expecting two rate cuts this year. Not just that the Fed is going to stop raising rates, but they're actually expecting two rate cuts in 2023. Now, looking at gold... Uh, we had a huge rally on Wednesday. It surged by over 20 bucks and pushed over 1950 an ounce. And that makes sense, given the conventional wisdom that we've been seeing driving the gold market over the last year. Uh, that has been to sell gold as interest rates rise and buy when you think interest rates are going to drop. So clearly, the markets are thinking the, the inflation fight's over, markets are going to drop, or interest rates are going to drop, sorry. And, and so therefore, we should buy gold. But then on Thursday, it kind of flip-flopped, and gold gave back all of those gains and then some. Now, I think some of that was profit-taking. And as Tony, our analyst over at Shift Gold, mentioned in a recent breakdown of the technical factors impacting gold, the yellow metal was set for some consolidation and, uh, as he put it, a breather before moving higher. I'll link to that article in the show notes page. He goes over a lot of these technical factors. Um, and, and then Peter Schiff made a good point uh, regarding gold's Thursday sell-off in a tweet. He said, quote, it's risk on. That's why gold was sold, as gold is risk off. If it was risk off, gold would have been bought. So we're seeing this risk on sentiment. Again, people think we're going to go back to the status quo uh, before the pandemic. And that status quo was artificially low interest rates, Maybe a little QE here and there, and low inflation. That ain't going to happen. But that's what people are thinking. 
Now, there does seem to be one part of Powell's narrative that the markets are buying, and that's the notion that there is a path forward that brings inflation down while avoiding a recession. Now, I think that's wishful thinking, or maybe it's bureaucratic spin. Um, I think it's a virtual certainty that the economy is going to spiral into a downturn. And of course, I don't think it's going to be short and shallow. I think it's going to be deep and prolonged. And I've said this over and over on the show. Um, As I've said many times in recent weeks, my pessimism is rooted in the fact that the U.S. economy is addicted to easy money. It is built on easy money. The foundation of America's economy is money printing and artificially low interest rates. It's addicted to both. It's addicted to QE. You can't take away an addict's drug without sending him into withdrawals. So the economy can limp along for a while, but it can only limp along so long before tighter monetary policy does its uh, dirty work on the economy. So it's going to break, and then the Fed is going to be forced to supply the drug again. So that's enough about the Fed. I I almost didn't want to go into it because I feel like I'm a broken record with the Fed. But, I mean, that's probably the biggest driver of the gold market, markets in general right now. So definitely needed to touch on it. But I I want to look at the... uh, performance of gold in 2022. And we've talked a little bit on the show about the price performance, but I want to talk about the supply and demand dynamics uh, because we got that data from the World Gold Council this week. And, you know, I think it might surprise you a little bit if you haven't heard already. Now, this is another question of believing your eyes or your ears, because, you know, if you've been listening to the narrative out there, gold had an awful year. Nobody wants gold. Gold is dead. Boo gold. Nobody's buying gold. It's, it's an ancient relic. You know, you've heard the narrative. I've gotten emails telling me this. And yet my eyes tell me that a lot of people still want gold. In fact, so many people wanted gold last year that demand hit an 11-year high. Gold demand grew by 18% to 4,741 tons in 2022. Again, this is from the World Gold Council. Massive central bank purchases coupled with strong retail investor buying and slowing outflows uh, from ETFs, drove overall demand higher. In fact, gold demand last year was on par with 2011, which was, quote, a time of exponential investment demand, according to the World Gold Council. Central banks alone bought 1,136 tons of gold last year. It was the second highest level of net purchases on record, dating all the way back to 1950. And incidentally, it was the 13th straight year of net central bank gold purchases. Um, A lot of the gold was purchased by central banks in emerging markets. There was a lot of buying in the Middle East, in India. The fact that China has officially started buying gold again, I think, is an interesting development. The People's Bank of China reported 62-ton purchases in both November and December, and uh, it raised the Chinese total gold reserves to over 2,000 tons for the first time ever. Now, it's highly likely that China has been buying gold under uh, under the table uh, as well. In fact, there was a lot of unreported buying in the second half of 2022, according to the World Gold Council. So this is, they know that 
there's some central bank out there somewhere that's buying gold. They can see it on the, the seller end, but they don't know who the buyer is. Uh, central banks that often fail to report purchases of gold include China and Russia. And of course, either one of them or both could be our mystery buyer uh, mystery buyers that we saw through the last half of 2022. Um, you know, China is uh, and has been for quite a while working to limit its exposure to the dollar. And of course, uh, Russia's done that as well. And, and then with the war and the whole uh, shindig going on over there in Ukraine, uh, Russia is probably trying to accumulate gold as well. According to the World Gold Council, there are two main drivers behind central bank gold buying. It's performance during times of crisis and its role as a long-term store of value. Quote, it's hardly surprising then that in a year scarred by geopolitical uncertainty and rampant inflation, central banks opted to continue adding gold to their coffers and at an accelerated pace. Retail investors also had a big appetite for gold last year. So that's your average Joe buying gold coins and gold bars. Now, overall investment demand, and that includes uh, the in institutional demand, ETFs and whatnot, came in at 1,107 tons. That was a 10% increase year on year. Gold bar and gold coin demand grew by 2% and built on very strong demand in 2021. In total, global investors bought uh, 1,217 tons of gold bars and gold coins. Uh, the second half of the year was particularly strong for bar and coin buying, uh, charting two successive quarters of demand around 340 tons. Uh, this was for the first time since 2013. Now, according to the World Gold Council, quote, the need for wealth protection in the global inflationary environment remained a primary motive for gold investors, um, for gold investment purchases. Investors in the West, so talking about Europe and the United States, had a particularly strong appetite for gold and actually broke an annual record. Uh, combined, U.S. and European purchases of Gold bars and coins hit 427 tons. That exceeded the previous record of 416 tons that was set in 2011. So there's a lot of average people out there that are buying a lot of gold. On the other hand, institutional investors who primarily buy and sell paper were not as bullish on gold last year. Despite rampant price inflation, they bought into the narrative that the Federal Reserve was going to win the inflation fight, and they sold gold every time that the Fed hiked rates. As a result, gold ETFs charted outflows of 110 tons. So that's why you see that bigger number, that, that the number of uh, tons of gold bars and gold coins is actually greater than the overall um, investment demand because we saw this outflow from ETFs. Um, but this was a pretty significant improvement over the 189-ton outflow we saw in 2021, and those outflows from ETFs are slowing down. So I think this was a big reason you didn't see a bigger price increase for gold last year. That's the institutional pressure. Um, of course, the biggest reason that we didn't see prices respond was the strong dollar. Uh, the dollar being strong made its relative uh, value compared to gold 
uh, a little bit smaller. If you price gold in other fiat currencies, so, you know, rupees or euros, you'll find that they charted significant gains on the year. In fact, uh, there were some currencies that gold set price records. So that's kind of good news for you if you're listening to me here in the United States. Uh, if you still want to get into gold, you can buy gold relatively cheaply in dollars because the dollar is still relatively strong um, in comparison with other fiat currencies. But if I'm right and the dollar is heading for a protracted period of decline, you're going to want to act relatively fast because as the dollar weakens, uh, that's going to drive the dollar price of gold higher. Anyway, we kind of had dueling narratives for gold in the investment world. Here's how the World Gold Council summed it up. Quote, as well as underlying support from geopolitics, gold investment was impacted by a combination of multi-decade high inflation, especially in Western markets, and the resultant aggressive rate hikes by the Fed and other central banks. Bar and coin investors focused on the former and sought the safety of gold as a hedge against inflation. In contrast, gold ETF investors reduced their holdings, especially in the second half, focusing on gold's rising opportunity cost as central banks across the globe imposed hefty rate hikes and the U.S. dollar surged. And I think this kind of gives you a, 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 a little bit of insight into the mindset of your institutional investor, your paper gold investor, and your physical gold investor. I think your physical gold investor is buying to hold for the long term, to preserve their wealth, to shield them from the impacts of inflation over the long term. I think a lot of folks that are in the paper gold market who are doing ETFs, they're looking to cash in on these swings. They're trying to make quick money, and they're trying to get in and out of the market. And I think that kind of accounts for the, the entirely different psychology that you see between your physical gold investor and your institutional paper gold investor. Looking at some of the uh, other data points, gold jewelry demand was a little bit softer in 2022. It fell 3% to 2,086 tons. Uh, you'll notice that a lot of gold is used in gold jewelry, which kind of goes against, you know, you'll hear people say, well, gold doesn't really have any use. Nobody really cares about gold. Well, yeah, people do. We're using tons and tons of gold to make jewelry. Uh, people love to wear gold jewelry because it's beautiful. So rising gold prices, particularly in the fourth quarter, drug down demand for gold jewelry. Uh, demand for gold in technology also saw a decline, a very sharp drop in the fourth quarter, and that drove a full-year decline of 7%. According to the World Gold Council, quote, deteriorating global economic conditions hampered demand for consumer electronics. And that's where the bulk of your um, technology and industrial demand for gold comes from. Uh, on a side note, this screams looming recession. Shh, don't tell Jay Powell. Looking at the supply side, mine output was up modestly, and so was gold recycling. Um, even with the 1% rebound in mine output, it still hasn't recovered to the 2018 record. As the Gold Council noted, Quote, now that the COVID-19 production disruptions and widespread China safety stoppages of 2021 have reversed, this lack of production growth gives farther credence to the claims that gold production is close to plateauing. Uh, in other words, the 
dynamics in the mining world were pretty much back to normal after all of the disruptions from the pandemic, and yet we still haven't gotten gold back up to that level of production that it was at the peak in 2018. And this leads some people to think that we may be close to peak gold. And peak gold, of course, is when the amount of gold that is mined every single year starts to decline rather than increase. Um, I'll link to an article in the show notes page that goes deeper into the ramifications of plateauing mine output. Uh, and depending on what happens next week, I may talk about it on the show because I think it's kind of a important and interesting dynamic uh, for the long term. So the bottom line is, despite the impression you might get listening to the mainstream, gold had a good year, particularly if you're looking at it from a demand standpoint. Um, there are a lot of people out there who get it and who want gold. And I think more people are going to get it as we move forward. Uh, and I think you're going to see demand for gold continue to be robust and most likely increase as people start to figure out what's actually going on with the Fed. Um, you might want to consider getting into gold and silver now before demand really takes off and starts pushing the price even higher. And it's a great time to talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. You can do that simply by calling 1-888-GOLD-160 or emailing info at shiftgold.com or going to shiftgold.com, going to the Getting Started tab on the website, and you can chat with a precious metal specialist right there online. And uh, as I say every week, these guys are fantastic and knowledgeable. Um, they're going to look at your investment strategy, your portfolio, your investment goals, and help you figure out how, if, gold and silver fit into your investment strategy. So do that today. With all of that said, that's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more, and of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap on Apple Podcasts, on the Shift Gold YouTube channel, on Stitcher, on Google, on other podcasting platforms. You can find links to all of this stuff over on the show notes page at shiftgold.com news. As always, welcome emails from folks, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com, M-Mahari at shiftgold.com. Love to hear from folks. I think that's it. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the show, and I will talk to you again next week.